Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. It's a Friday afternoon. It's hot as hell outside, and we have a really cool guest sitting on her couch. She's sporting some flats, a couple tattoos all over the place. She's got this goofy grin on her face right now that says, <laughs> I don't know if I really want to be here. I'm now curious if those tattoos were done by our mutual friend. Yes, they were. They were. Okay. Every single one of them. Awesome. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And uh, as Mark said, we've got a guest here. So this is part of our series of conversations with clients. And, you know, to be upfront and honest, because I don't like to bullshit, she's not my client. She came to me because she is a friend of a client and a friend of someone who has appeared on the podcast. And it's because... No one would have ever known that. You know what, though? I am an honest person. I don't like to lie. I would have lied about that. You would have lied? Okay, you want me to lie? I can... I can. Just kidding, y'all. She is my client and she gets massages all the time. No, I'm joking. Um, she came here because I was speaking to our mutual friend and saying that it would be kind of interesting to have somebody on the podcast who can give some different perspectives on relationships. As a therapist, when your clients are on the table, they tell you everything. They talk to you about everything, sometimes things you don't even necessarily ask about. And I feel that there's certain topics that make people uncomfortable. I'm not saying it's me. I'm not saying it's any of you listening, but there are topics that make people uncomfortable. And I think when you work in this industry, um, having knowledge and maybe having some inside insight, inside insight, <laughs> is that is that a, am I being redundant saying inside insight? No, I don't think so. No? Okay. <laughs> um, to get some insight into these, these different types of relationships. So what am I talking about specifically is our guest today. Her name is Kitten, Kitten Monroe. She's Toronto's uh, Marilyn Monroe. And she has had some experience and knows people, and I think maybe herself, we'll get to that, who have been in open relationships. And I feel that's an area that makes some people very uncomfortable. What do you think? Am I comfortable? Are you comfortable? Not, not are you comfortable. Do you think this makes people uncomfortable? Yes. Yes. So thank you for coming in to talk so openly. It's something people only, only see on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Truly, I, it was actually hard to find somebody, but it just so happened that we both know somebody and uh, she said to me, this this person will come in and she will talk and she will tell you everything you want to know. So <laughs> thank you for being here. I'm happy to be here. So before we start, I know you don't love to talk about yourself, but a brief introduction to everyone. Let us know who you are, what you do, and we'll go from there. Okay. Um I am a ooh, young 30-something. During the day, I dabble in some law, and at night, I try my very best to pretend I'm glamorous. <laughs> <laughs> your Instagram shows me that you're glamorous. When you are all like done up in your Marilyn Monroe makeup, it's pretty good. Thank you. Thank you. That took me years to learn. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and actually, before you came in, Mark, I was saying that, you know, you said, oh, okay, well, she's blonde and, you know, she can kind of have the look. And she said, no, it is not just that. So tell, <laughs> educate so him. Tell him. <laughs> I thought what? it was just, you just got to be blonde and sport a white dress. And, <laughs> I, uh, I studied Stand with a for... fan under your dress. Oh, uh, my God, no. I've only ever done that once and it was for good money. <laughs> <laughs> so what goes into actually turning yourself you kitten into kitten monroe 
for me, I actually spent three years studying her life and her as a person from birth to death. Okay. Uh, that included everything from her parentage to her mental health to um, taking apart the rumors and the lies about her life and learning who she really was and how she created the persona that was Marilyn Monroe. Okay. Because that person wasn't real either. Right. That person was who she wanted or that person was who she felt the world should see maybe. That was the person the industry forced her to be. Right. Yeah. So why? Why did, why Marilyn Monroe? What about her made you want to get that deep into her life? Uh, You know, there's the, when I was a bit younger, there was a few people that after I had lost a quite significant amount of weight, they'd be like, oh, you, you kind of look like her. And I was like, well, that's a nice compliment. Who is this person? And then I got really, really interested when I specifically hit on the mental health aspect and the um, genetic history, specifically of her mother's schizophrenia and things like that, and the abuse she suffered as a child that was very reflective of my own life. Okay. So you kind of saw a little bit of you in her. Yeah. It was very inspiring to see how you could go from this child who was abused and abandoned and left to foster care to this amazing, incredible, iconic woman who has lasted decades, even though she was still so sorely underpaid. Do you think kids, and when I say kids, because we're old, do you None. think like 20-somethings know who Marilyn Monroe nope, is? No, I don't really? think so. But that's just me. I'm an idiot. What do you think? I mean, you do this. Do you think that the there's, younger generations know who she is? There's quite a following. And I find the age ranges usually from late teens to... Um, mid 60s okay how long have you been actually doing this persona on stage um on stage slash in photos I guess you would say um five years five years okay and what uh you when we first spoke and I asked you I said kitten Monroe that's quite a name you said (laughs) that's my stage name so what is it that you do on stage, uh, aside from the impersonation, you actually are a performer, yes? Yeah, so I it, it changed a little bit in the last couple of years because I did a little bit of internal searching. So when I started, it was very much um, a recreation of, of what she did. So I would take acts from her films, uh, specifically musicals, and recreate them on stage. Okay. Costumes, musical scores, everything. And you're, you're a singer, yeah? Yeah. What type of singer? Uh, I just mostly do like jazz standards now because okay. of this. Pre-Marilyn Monroe days, were you performing? Were you singing on stage? Since I was little, um, I did a lot. I, I was put in Catholic school. <laughs> um, we, so. We're, we're both Catholic school kids, so we're with you. You know my faces then. <laughs> um, so I did, I was put at the head of all the choirs as a kid and musicals and things like that. Um, I did some like fashion modeling. So you're used to being on stage. Kind of. Yeah. (laughs) But you told me off mic and I have to bring it up because it always interested me about Mark that he's a performer. He's been a performer since I met him. Mm -hmm. When I first met him, I would say we were going, you were doing what, like four shows a week? Something like that. Something like that always on stage yet he hates being the center of attention i don't have yeah. stage fright i'm 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 an introvert mm-hmm. and it's really strange to be an introvert but then be on stage and have everyone looking at you but i used to also get super liquored up <laughs> like 
there was a po- like I did I never played a show sober. That's really common. It was always the running joke like what's my sweet spot for the number of drinks before I hit the stage and then while I'm on stage that allows me to still perform well without being a complete disaster. Oh my goodness. And our manager at the time we discovered through many many shows the magic number is 7 before and 4 during our set. So I used I used to bring him beers between songs so that he could have his on stage beers. Yeah. That was that was the sweet spot. If if I if I went more than 7 before it was a little sloppy. That's a lot of beers. Yeah. And if it went <laughs> under 7 I never quite felt loose enough. Yeah. yeah. We know how he coped. But mine wasn't from fright, though. Because I was never anxious. I never had that, I don't want to be up here, or I'm really nervous. It, it was just all about it, just a general looseness that, mm-hmm. I, that, I, that I would get with uh, the booze. What do you do? How do you psych yourself up to get on stage, considering you are somewhat of a, I don't know, are you an introvert, or is it more of just the anxiety? I'm an introverted extrovert with extreme anxiety and low self-esteem. Okay. <laughs> okay. I get it. Yeah. Um, I actually, I don't, I don't have a thing. I don't drink. I quit my first year of college uh, just over, you know, understanding my family genetic history with addiction and not wanting a part of that. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that gets me up there is just how happy it makes me once I'm done. <laughs> okay. Is it like happiness because is there like a sense of pride? Is it like the reaction from the crowd? Is it just you actually genuinely love doing it? Like what makes you feel super happy when you're done? It's just what I've always wanted to do since I could talk. So you actually love performing. Scares the shit out of you a little bit, but you love it. A lot of bit. (laughs) A lot of bit. Okay. My five-year-old says that, by the way. A lot of bit. (laughs) When I say a little bit, she goes, a lot of bit. I love it. Um, Okay. Well, I think I I have a somewhat of an under, you can't know someone in five minutes, but somewhat of an understanding about you. Um, Let's talk a little bit about your history with relationships, if that's okay. And anything you don't want to talk about, we don't have to talk about. But I know from our mutual friend that you have at least been involved in an open relationship. Yeah. When this came about, was this your idea, their idea, a combination. How did this, how does this happen? Like, how does that even become a a conversation? My situation was really different from the situation of friends and acquaintances that I know who actively engage in those type of relationships. Mm -hmm. So like disclaimer, like I am not the status quo. I'm just a person. Mm -hmm. I had actually just gotten out of, um, an abusive relationship and I <laughs> I met this guy I went to work on this movie set and I met another person there and I was like he's really good looking and I really want to fuck all right <laughs> that was it I guess I was lashing out or whatever you know it happens mm-hmm. and as we got to talking he was like yeah like I'm a polyamorous person and in the back of my head I was like typically I don't get down with that but I just want to fuck so I don't care. That didn't last very long. Okay. <laughs> that did, you not caring didn't last very long? Yeah. A, a lot of that didn't okay. last very long. <laughs> I mean, did you consider yourself in a relationship with this guy or was it 
strictly just sex? Oh, we ended up in a long-term, complicated, heartbreaking relationship. Tell me a little bit about that, as much as you want. Like I said, I don't want to bring up things that you don't want to talk about. Nothing is off the table. Okay, so how, okay, you knew he he was a polyamorous type of person. He was upfront about that. Yeah. And you said, okay. Yeah. How do you go from that, like... I don't know how to phrase this question. When somebody is not looking for a monogamous relationship, right? How do you end up in like a re- like? How is that defined relationship when you're? So, how do I explain it where it doesn't sound gross? <laughs> so, you can sound gross. <laughs> so, it, there's different ways to engage in like open relationships. Some mm-hmm. people keep what they call like a primary partner, mm-hmm. which could be like their boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, non-binary spouse, whatever it is. Um, um, and then they have what they call, this is the gross part, play partners. Okay. Um, some people just engage in a whole lot of play. Mm-hmm. Some people engage in several primaries in a way that it's very equally distributed. Like it's it's very gray. It's not a one size fits all. Mm-hmm. It's all about kind of negotiations and personalities. So again, this is, I'm... It sounds naive, but I know there's people who think this way that if you're somebody like the second scenario you said, where you've got like multiple primaries, mm-hmm. my assumption is, of course, they all know about each other or whatever. Yes. Then the way that a lot of people define that is then you're not in any relationship. You're single and you're just sleeping with a bunch of people. Some of these partners all live together. Some of these okay. partners live two or three of them and others have their own dwelling. Some of them even share children and pets. Like, Well, I mean, there's those shows on like TLC, Sister Wives, Sister Wives, that's it. So like that scenario where there's like one dude and I don't know how many wives he has. I it don't watch the happen, show. But there could be, you know, there could be like um, a straight man with a bisexual woman partner who then has a lesbian female partner that's only hers for example like it's it's so there's so many ways and different things that can happen back to you then you and this guy that you met on the movie set that initially it was like i just want to fuck this guy like that's how it started obviously feelings developed yeah were they to your knowledge mutual like did he want to keep you around as much as you wanted to keep him around At least in the beginning. It was interesting because neither of us really went into it like thinking about feelings. We were both mutually physically attracted. Mm -hmm. So then we kind of said, you know, you you do this logically. You go out for coffee. You get to know each other. Like you don't just like, you know, run into a bathroom or something. Right. Engage in God knows what. So it's not totally (laughs) like what you see on TV. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and, and the more of those coffees and walks and things between the now developing sexual relationship we were both like oh literally cannot get enough of each other so it was it became not just sexual then like you were you liked him you liked his personality obviously he felt that way as well and he was in so much denial so much what do you mean it was a solid year before he could come to terms with the fact that he had feelings for a person who was monogamous interesting so the whole time you were with him you were not with anybody else. No. But he was continuing to do whatever he does. He had a primary partner that he lived with 
shortly thereafter of getting involved with me, she left him and moved out. Now, I figured out years later why that was going on, but that's another story. Okay. (laughs) And then he also had, like, at the time, two other very, like, random times that he would see these people for, you know, physical intimacy. And so he was open from the beginning. You Mm -hmm. knew this was going to happen. When it was happening, were you always bothered or did you become bothered the deeper into this relationship you got? I didn't love it, but, you know, I told myself, like, this is what I wanted to do for me because I didn't want it. I I had been a serial monogamist for so long. Mm -hmm. I think I kind of, like, flipped something in my brain and went, like, the polar opposite for a minute. Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of self-talk, like, no, you chose this. It's not fair of you to be getting these negative feelings. Like, that's your problem. That's not his problem. You got to work that out Right, because he told you this is the way it is. Yeah. Did you... At any point, sorry, I'm like, I'm not even letting you talk. I just, I have so many questions. But (laughs) did you at any point think that you would change him or think that he would see that like you guys were good together? Was that a thought somewhere in the far, far back of your brain? Probably about six months in, I realized that there was a lot more going on emotionally on his end, even that he was willing to talk about. I'm very Mm -hmm. like intuitive. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when it started to get harder for me. Cause I'd be like, you're lying to me. Why can't we talk about this? Right. But he didn't want, okay, to we got to slow this down. Cause I'm, com- I'm confused <laughs> as fuck. I'm not okay. going to lie. All right. Like this is going and I'm like, bring it, bring it back no, to where you're not living confused. in it. I have no clue what's going on. <laughs> you were in an abusive relationship with a dude. Yeah. Physically abusive, mm-hmm. mentally abusive. Mm-hmm. So you're not in a good spot. And you knew that the whole time you're with this person mm-hmm. and you just kind of justified why am I here? Or I'm staying here. It wasn't my first rodeo. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So there's a little bit of a pattern. Of, yeah. Okay. And then you get out of this. Yeah. You get out of it. Yeah. So this is your doing to get out of it. Mm-hmm. And now you're like, fuck it. It's me time. Exactly. Cool. And then you show up on a, on a set and you see this dude and you're like, yep. Me, me time. Me time. <laughs> cool. And then you get to chatting with this uh, fine-looking gentleman, apparently. How does it develop? Like, how does it come out? Does he just come out and say, like, hey, like, I've got this person that I'm kind of with, but everything is super open, so if you want your me time and my me time to get together, that that can happen? Like, give me the rundown of how, how this... How did we what get is this, from what A is this, to B? Yeah, what does this interaction look like when you're on a set at three o'clock in the morning waiting to be called back to filming nothing is off the table for conversations especially when you're stuck with these people for three days you get to know each other so you know you talk about yeah i just left an abusive relationship oh yeah like i'm polyamorous i have a partner and this that and the other thing like it's just a very casual conversation and so when that comes out you're like okay this is perfect then this guy this guy's this guy's uh down for it and and i just want to be physical so we're good to rock and roll yeah cool and so then this thing develops where you guys are physical you guys are physical and the whole time you are getting emotionally kind of invested in what's happening as i do cool he is expressing he's not, but you somehow find out much later. Okay. No, he's not expressing anything. Okay. It's the nuance and the, I'm waking up to text messages. Gotcha. I'm getting phone calls in the middle of the day, even though you know I don't answer the phone because I have anxiety. You're just calling to leave me voicemails. Okay. Things like that. It's kind of obvious, okay, I think. Okay, okay. So, you, yeah, you felt that he was 
getting more invested than he was letting on or telling you that he was willing to talk about, let's say. Did you try having these conversations with him? Oh, yeah. What? How did he react? Was he angry? Did he just shut it down? Like A lot of avoidance. Part of her personality prototype for a long time was avoidance and kind of denial because things that didn't quite make sense to the narrative that he had found worked for him was just like, I don't get it. Panic. Nope. Not going to talk about it. Okay. So in this talking about stuff, are you trying to, because you know he's got his primary Mm -hmm. and you know he's got, what was the term? Play, play things? Play, play. What was the term? Partners? Play partners? Play partners? They're people. I I don't fucking know. I think I... Like I told you, I'm already confused. That's okay. And um, so I can't figure this out. I can't, I can't figure out. So when does it become that you are expressing so much interest that I'm so lost? That's okay. We'll get through it. Yeah. <laughs> the, you were right up to that point. So where we got to was that about six months in, she started to feel that he was feeling this similar to what she was feeling. Like she felt there was a, a connection. Okay. He didn't want to talk about it. Okay. And so we haven't got to the part where the relationship eventually fizzled out, but it was my assumption, and that's where I was going next, that you you had these feelings and you knew like it. he's not willing to talk about it. He's in this denial. He doesn't want to admit that he's feeling these things for me. And he's still doing whatever he's doing with all his other play partners. And and she didn't want to deal with that, I assume. Oh, it's so much more complicated than that. Even all my friends who have been part of this journey have been like, I don't understand how you made it through that. So, okay. So then what happened then? So six months in, there's feelings, mutual feelings, although he's not admitting them. Mm-hmm. Then where does it go? So his primary partner leaves him. That's a thing. But does it have anything to do with you? To this day, I still ask. Okay. And I'm told no, but my gut tells me something else based on my experiences with him. Tell me what tell me what this gut feeling is. Well, he wasn't the most honest guy, which is why his polyamory wasn't ethical. Hmm. That's what actually Talk off my current I talked about that, that there's People who are in these type of open relationships that do it very well and nobody gets hurt because Mm -hmm. everything is upfront and honest and open. And then there's people who maybe say that this is the type of relationship that they're involved in, but they're not doing things ethically. Like what? What does that mean? Like, okay, when you start sleeping or dating somebody who engages in polyamory, there's rules. There's, I mean, I hate to say rules and regulations, but there are. Let's let's hear what these rules are. What are these rules? You know, for like our situation, there was very specific rules use protection i don't want to fucking know anything about them to be honest with you because i'm already at the point where i feel kind of jealous so don't tell me anything Mm -hmm. if there's going to be a new person first of all you need to talk to me first not go and do it and tell me afterwards do you sense my bitterness so he wasn't following the rules or staying within the boundaries staying within the boundaries that you guys had set together because as you said this is a huge gray area there's no like one definition for being in a polyamorous relationship it's these are the boundaries this is what each partner has agreed to and each partner is okay with exactly and then anything outside of that is not cool right are part of the rules like are, are those the only rules are there more 
that you you guys set for yourselves? It was pretty easy. For me, it was, I don't want to know who they are. Talk to me first. Use protection. Cool. We're good to go. And even though you are not with anybody else, is he encouraging you? Like, hey, you want to do whatever you want, go do whatever you want. But the and these are my rules for if you do if you're if you're out. He had the the lovely comfort of knowing I was a monogamous person. So okay. that was never a conversation that was engaged in. And for a while I felt almost like taken advantage of. Like I was looked at like this lovely, safe little trophy. Okay. Interesting. So you never really felt tempted to go and do whatever you wanted to? Oh no. I was like so in love with this asshole. So you you were in it. Like a hundred percent. Oh yeah. The other women, I know that you said you didn't want him to tell you anything. So I don't know if you knew anything about them. I, I I'm saying women. There could have been men too. I don't know. There, what his it situation was it was. was just women. Okay. So yeah. the other women, if you did know anything about them were was he in relationships with other women who were also in relationships with other people or was he with all monogamous women oh okay so he wanted to know he was the only dude or they weren't monogamous they just weren't seeing anybody okay so there was the primary partner in him and she was monogamous okay there was um one partner who lived like two hours away from the city. So like that wasn't a common thing. So it was like, I don't even really know. It wasn't important. Mm -hmm. And then there was another girl who was like a single mom and like that was her life. So like this worked for her. Okay. So he was pretty much the only guy in all of these women's lives, minus possibly the one that was two hours away. Uh, She could have been doing whatever she was doing. Okay. So he had the security. Do you think that he was specifically looking for monogamous women? Or do you think he was open to having the relationship be open on both ends? I think he was open because I know in one of our much, much down the road, like arguments about like things being unethical and how it bothered me and like getting to the end of my rope, he definitely turned around and said, you know, like, I want you to be happy too. Like, I want you to find your happiness too, wherever that may mean. And I mean, I don't know if it was just said because like I had him in the hot seat or what, but you know, I think there was some genuineness there. So what was he doing that was unethical? Was it that he wasn't telling you when there were new people? So it, was a, it was like a few specific instances. I'm not an unreasonable person. I think I'm really easygoing. And I know when I agree to something, it's not on the other person to deal with my feelings because I did that, mm-hmm. right? I keep saying that because it's it's very important to this because mm-hmm. I know that. Um, there was, ha, 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 how do I explain this? So it got to the point where we were like seeing each other, like it wasn't casual, but we didn't have a label yet because mm-hmm. whenever I brought it up, it would just be like a bit of, um, an argument because like, that's not what he wanted to do because he was still so upset about the primary leaving him and whatever, whatever. Right understandable stuff. Were you trying to like get into that primary spot? Never had crossed my mind, but at, I got to a point where I was like, well, like at this point, it's everything about a relationship except you won't put a label on it. And that's not fair. Right. So you guys were like, what, together all the time? I had a drawer at his house. I was spending night, like multiple nights a week there. Like we talked every day. Like it was... Our, it was a his friends were yeah. my friends. Like, it was a lot. So you guys got extremely close, but he didn't want to actually label you as, like, his girlfriend or whatever exactly. the title was that you were looking for. Exactly that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Are you less confused now? You following? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah? Okay. <laughs> 
Just checking on you. Okay, so what made you get to the end of the rope? <laughs> the end of the rope didn't come for years. How long was this going on? I don't know if, remember if you said that or not. Four years. Okay. So we've only talked about like the first year. Oh boy. Okay. So let's let's back it up then. <laughs> let's start with when he started to be unethical. What were those things looking like? So there was I actually had gone to do a show, and it was like. I hadn't even been on stage yet. And I got a text message out of nowhere being like, this one from however far the fuck away um, can't make it home tonight. So she's going to stay here. And I was like, bitch better be sleeping on the couch and not in the bed that I sleep in four nights a week. Okay. And so I'm about to go on stage. I already have anxiety for that, which he knows. So I'm mad now because you're being insensitive and I can't believe you did that. Mm -hmm. Um. I said what I had to say, put my phone away, went and did what I had to do. Didn't talk to him for the rest of the night because I couldn't even like fathom. There was so much inside of me. Mm -hmm. Drove over there the next morning to talk and he was changing the sheets when I walked in. How did that conversation go? Or that did went it? with me packing my shit. Okay. And losing my shit. Did he in that moment feel he did anything wrong? Since... You knew about this woman. Not at all. He didn't think he did anything wrong. Not at all. But was there a very clear boundary set in that somebody's not going to stay there? Or do you think that was more your feelings had gone too far? And like, who do you think was actually in the wrong there? I'm always very clear about like my space is being sacred. Okay. So if I share a space with you now, that space is my space and it's sacred. And I'm choosing to share that with you. It was always understood that nobody else sleeps there but me. Okay. So he, he was okay with that up to that point. Like nobody else sleeps here. I'll still happened. go see these other women, but they are not sleeping here. It had never happened. So then why didn't he think he did anything wrong? Because he was a dick. You look like you have questions. I'm so fucking confused. <laughs> Where are you confused? Uh, the whole thing is confusing to me. I think I need answers to be less confused. Okay. When he's banging somebody else and you know it happened because he has to tell you before he does it. With new partners, with not with existing partners. So, I don't need to know time, date, whatever. No, okay. I don't need to know that. So you know he's out there sleeping with existing partners right but she also at this point just sorry as a side note knows that it can't be that frequent if she's spending four out of seven nights at his house in his bed with him okay so yeah, she yeah. knows like yes, if yes, it's yes. happening it's it's infrequent at this point yes okay how does it make you feel knowing that he's out there banging somebody else at this point in like yeah absolutely terrible at any point were you okay with the idea because I'm getting the sense that you you weren't okay with the idea from the beginning, but you just came out of this thing and you guys got kind of hot and heavy and you kind of were digging on him and it just went down this path. But I don't know, like, I don't know anything. I'm just yeah. sitting here listening and I'm getting the feeling that, you know, the whole time you're not really okay with the whole idea. The concept of it was never something that I personally subscribed to. Right. I had already at this point in my life met people and befriended people who did do this in yeah. multiple different capacities. So I wasn't in a place where I was judgmental towards right. it or didn't understand it. Right. Um, it just wasn't my personal life philosophy. But I was accepting of engaging in this situation because everything sucked and I just want to do right. me time. I think, I think maybe I get confused because the way I'm hearing it and I'm hearing like that... 
that you were accepting of the situation. It, and it, that translates to me more that you were accepting of his situation. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't really want to be part of this whole thing that's going on. I'm not really interested in being with other people, blah, 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 right. blah. Right. I'm interested in you. And this is what you're into. Yes. And the only way that I'm actually going to get to be and hang out and do the things I want to do with you is if I accept what's happening here. But in the back, and this is just me just listening. <laughs> and I feel like in the back of your mind, like, why am I fucking doing this like this is not something i really even want this is not what i want for me am i off on this you're not off because the progression of it did go that way because of the growth towards the situation so is it safe to say then at any point in this four-year relationship when you know he's out there being physical with somebody else you're just not overly thrilled by it or or is it like you just don't care or is it like i i i have negative feelings about what's happening i usually do didn't care okay. until it came down to like the changing of the sheets. Okay, kind I'm gonna of pause things. you quick because I want to understand this. Yeah, what made you not care? Like, how do you how do you not care? I was be- it was a lot of the self talk. You chose this. You did this to yourself. Okay, you can't and shouldn't change other people. So your inner soul actually does care, and your kind of conscious mind is is convincing you that I don't care. We're kind of working through it and trying to find a balance, really, of like, yes, okay, you have feelings, but also like, there's all these other points where this person is a person. Also, that's that's hard. There's like a huge like disconnect in your brain because consciously like you're trying to like you said the self-talk you're trying to convince your your ego essentially that like this is okay this is okay this is okay and meanwhile you've got your own self saying no it isn't this is not what I'm used to but I mean we know that people can change and I think when you're in a scenario where you kind of want to be you can convince yourself that I can make myself okay with this. I can oh, yeah. make myself accepting of this. Oh, yeah. And as you said, you're not a judgmental person. You have all these other friends who have done it ethically. Absolutely. And are happy. Mm-hmm. So maybe she thought, I can I can be happy with this. But the minute you saw him changing the sheets, you're like, no fucking way. There's no fucking way. Okay. And that was only within the first year, you mm-hmm. said. But you still stayed with him for three other years. Mm-hmm. Pause on this, though. When you see him changing the sheets, is it is it a sense of ownership that you had that was compromised that you feel? Like, I don't know. I don't want to put words no, in no, your no, mouth. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm listening to you. Don't mind my faces. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or is it something? Or is it something else? It was the disrespect of a very solid boundary. Okay. Mm-hmm. Especially with knowledge that you pulled this in a situation where I'm already vulnerable, almost feeling like you're taking advantage of me in a vulnerable state. Because he knew you well enough to know that, like texting you seconds before you go on stage with something that he knew you That's weren't just fucked up. Like there needed to be a conversation there. It wasn't, Oh, FYI, she's sleeping here. Okay. Bye. Didn't even know she was here. Mm, well, cause you said you didn't want to know, right. You didn't want to know when he was doing things with other people. No, but like, so, you know, also like I could have driven over there after my show, you know, like yeah. there was no, Hey, by the way, like for the next 24 hours, just let you know, I'm going to be a little unavailable. There was none of that. I had no knowledge. And then I just got this, hey, by the way. So how does that work? How does it work when someone is off going to be physical with somebody else and it's like, I'm telling you first. Like, what does that sound like? Does it sound like that? Like, you know what? Uh, won't be around for a little bit. It would be similar to if it was like the the partners I already had known about before yeah, starting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be like, hey, 
I'm going to go hang out with X today. Okay. Okay, cool. Thanks for letting me know. Or, hey, I'm going to be going out to this city for the weekend. Okay, I know what you're doing. Great. But it's so not you, great. So you always did know then, because you guys were together so often, you you knew when he was right. with other people. You I just didn't, didn't have know. to think about it. You didn't have to wonder details. You didn't even necessarily have to know who it was. It was no. just, you knew he was with somebody else. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How, okay. This sounds insensitive, but I know you said That's nothing's okay. off the table. That's okay. Those nights when you knew he's with somebody else and you are going to bed, what's going through your mind? Do you sleep that night? Do you go to bed angry? Are you, like, what are you dealing with? I definitely, because of, I'm such a complicated case because I'm very self-aware of my own issues. Mm-hmm. My low self-esteem, my anxiety, my trauma-based thought processes. I'm very in tune with all of that. Mm-hmm. So for me, in those moments, it's a lot of like, being triggered and then being like, okay, what is the source of this? Why is, why am what I being part triggered? of me, what unhealed part of me is reacting to this? So you would be laying there doing a whole bunch of self-talk and trying to figure out why am I bothered? Because I put myself here. Exactly. It sounds like torture. To be honest with you, it sounds like torture. After a fighting while, with yourself, like sounds torture. like torture. So when he comes back, he comes back home to the place where you, where you sleep four nights a week. Is it like, hey, how are you doing? Or is it like, is it is it passive aggressive? Is no. it? How, do, how does that? On his part or my part? Your your part. Because I imagine, me, I imagine he comes home feeling great. Well, it, right? he'd always like it. Always was so complicated because he'd always miss me so much, which didn't help things. So he comes home, he's all happy to see you. Are you like equally ecstatic to see him, or as Mark said, are you kind of like, well, what the fuck? You didn't have to leave in the first place. It was this really strange and like honestly painful combination of like feeling like. I'm so happy to see you. Why am I not good enough? Yeah, because mm-hmm. like if if he's like, you know, I'm leaving the city tonight, be back in two days. Essentially, he's saying like, you know, don't want to hang out with you for two days. Going to find something else. Well, I, know I don't know. I don't know. That way, okay. because like, it's not like he was going off and like finding random people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Like I knew and I was, there was only one new person added in the time we were together and that was the sheets person and that's why that didn't go well. Mm, okay. You know what? I do, This is where you, it's either you are somebody that's okay with an open relationship or not. I don't think somebody that is totally 100% comfortable in with in being in that type of relationship would ever think I'm not good enough because right. it's not about you. It's yeah. this is what I do. And I, you know, I have yeah. multiple partners I and that. I still love you or whatever, you know, whatever right. feelings I have for you, they're still there and they're, they're still valid, but I'm going to do my thing. If you right. are not comfortable, then of course your mind is doing, why am I not enough? Why am I not well, good enough? That's because what I was... yeah, that's right. It's hard when the messages are mixed because you're getting this, this theory of, I don't know if you've heard of the theory of love bombing. No, I've never heard those terms before in my life. So it's something frequently that um, neurodivergent sociopaths use love bombing, where they will literally drown you in um, affection and attention and gifts and whatever, and then they do something shitty. Hmm. And then they come back and do it again. And it's like this almost emotionally abusive wiring to... You know, in some cases, either ignore behaviors, accept certain things, uh, avoid 
conversations, mm-hmm. things like that. It's make you feel special, 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 special. So that when I do something shitty, okay, I'm just going to drop another love bomb in your face and you're not going to be upset anymore. So is love bombing intentional or is that unconscious? In my opinion, mm-hmm. I think it can be both. Okay. Situationally, individually. I guess it depends on how much of a narcissist this person is really. I love that word for him. Is that something I've, you know, I... I believe that's something that very strong narcissists would do. You know, yeah. it's like as long as I'm protecting myself and I, like I don't want to deal with your emotions. As you said, you know, it wasn't up to him to deal with your feelings. Right. But when he felt like that was coming at him, it was like, right. yeah, no, no, no. I don't want to deal with your feelings. And so it's literally minimizing the other person's feelings who yes. he obviously did have feelings for you. Oh, yeah, he still does. It, it He could have even loved you, but he just he didn't want monogamy and that's okay but you'll love the ending of this oh i can't wait this is like (laughs) mark looks confused again so (laughs) okay so the sheets person that was a serious issue issue. you packed your shit but something brought you back so let's go back the love bombing brought me the love bombing brought you back what did he do specifically I spent a month not answering texts or phone calls that were coming constantly like nonstop. And then eventually I just like, I would say now in hindsight, so many years later, I was so emotionally invested and and so wired by this emotional turmoil that like eventually I picked up. Eventually you wanted to hear what he had to say. Because like, well, why are you, why are you trying? So it's been a month. I'm ignore. I've essentially ghosted on you. But he didn't give up. No. Yeah. That's not somebody who just has you as a playmate. Right. Okay. So I wasn't crazy in making it up. So you finally pick up and what does he say? I couldn't even remember at this point because it's Always the same kind of... Like the I miss you, blah, 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 blah. Right. Like I understand, like we should have talked about it, et cetera, et cetera. Because frequently, anytime I had been like, we need to sit down and we need to reestablish and we need to rediscuss boundaries and roles and things are changing and we need to reevaluate, mm-hmm. it was always avoidance. Mm-hmm. So when he finally said what he had to say, let's reevaluate, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, is what he had to say. Right. So here's all the things that I wanted to hear. And my dumbass is like, okay. Okay. So he says what you want to hear. He says that he understands. So he's apologetic. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, he didn't think he did anything wrong. Mm-hmm. A month of you ignoring him. Now he's apologetic. Mm-hmm. So you go back to him. Mm-hmm. Does it go back to the same? Like, oh, no. are you guys just as close? It Just as close. And now he wants a relationship. Okay. So he's now put a definition. Mm-hmm. So who are you to him? So now I'm his primary partner and his girlfriend. Okay. But the other partners still exist. Except for the sheets one. Okay. That was a, something that I was like, I'm not accepting of that. Okay. So at this point, you have to decide what's more important then. But the others that existed before you, they're still around. So it was just now the one, the single mom at that point. And you're okay with it. I mean, so you're, you're saying I'm, I'm you're like, okay whatever. with it. whatever. Okay. All right. And so how long does this go on? When does the next problem arise? The next problem arises just with, it. it's really the same problem of just like lifestyles not matching up. You know, I, again, serial monogamous, but also I'm always like, I've been a woman who knows what I want, you know, mm-hmm. like I don't want to be somebody's girlfriend for the rest of my life is basically what I ended up saying to him okay. verbatim. So you actually wanted a progression in the relationship. As you do after so long. As I do, as you do. 
but there are probably women who maybe they don't who right? are okay with it. So you want the progression. Is he adamantly against it? Does it make him angry? Does he tell you like, yo, you knew what you were getting into? It's a little bit of like, you know what you were getting into, but then like entertaining conversations, again, in hindsight, almost to appease me. At the time, I'm feeling like, oh, we're communicating. Maybe, you know, you're reevaluating your life since you're 10 years older than me. So at this point, my question from the beginning, you're almost seeing this light that maybe he's going to change and want to be monogamous. So at this point is when really the concept of being in an open relationship, you've you've closed that door. You're thinking, okay, we're, we're done with this. Right. But he's not done with this. He was talking about being done with it. But it was really, it was just misleading. This is where all that unethical that mm. I'm talking about is. Because you're not being honest about where you are. You're not being honest about what you want to do. You're just saying whatever it is you think you should say to keep this shiny little thing that you like so much. So when does it finally, when do you finally decide this isn't working? Because as Mark said, like this was your... You're doing, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. when does it finally end? He cuts off all partners and goes monogamous. Okay. As a let's try it. And then the emotional support and attention and care that he had been giving prior because he was never neglectful. Mm -hmm. I always felt supported in things that were going on in my life. I always felt like we could talk if I was having a breakdown, I could pick up my phone and he would not hesitate to be there. I could drive over at four o'clock in the morning. Like it didn't matter. Mm -hmm. Lots of support. That kind of just wasn't there anymore. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So once you're the only one, then all of the attention goes away. Mm -hmm. All of the all of the efforts that he was making to make you feel important, mm -hmm. to make you stick around, mm -hmm. they're gone. Do you think it's because he had this sense of security that like, okay, now we're in a relationship? Or do you think he was maybe unhappy that he had to change his lifestyle? I definitely think it was a sense of security, having all the more information that I have now. Mm -hmm. Because of all of that lack of basically being the same person that I had fallen for obviously as an individual you kind of start to emotionally disengage right like you're like my needs aren't being met anymore something is severely disconnected here I try to talk to you about how hey now my emotional needs aren't being met like they were what's going on and there's no real feedback coming back and then he's mad that I'm now upset because you got what you wanted Bingo. You got what you wanted. What are you complaining about? Bingo. So then what? Where do you go from there? We had a conversation. We mutually agreed that it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. This is still not the end. He packs up all his shit and moves from Scarborough to Cambridge. Okay. Because now we're having a, a crisis and don't know what to do. And we're still, our friends are still mutual. We have this thing that we do as a group every Monday night. So we're still seeing each other once a week, just in a not the same capacity. Like we're not sitting beside each other, you know, like there's no contact. We're still friendly and capable of connecting on those friendship things that got us to like each other essentially mm -hmm. to begin with. But all of that extra like emotional stuff isn't there. So this is going on. We're still seeing each other like, like in a room together, hanging out with people. Mm -hmm. And I think... After about eight months of this, I get I get a message that he wants to talk. And then what does he want to talk about? What does he... He wants to talk about everything. Okay. And what's been going on 
way the fuck out in God knows where, where he's been holing up in a hobbit hole, apparently soul searching. So do you guys get back together at this point? No. To this day, he's still asking. So how long have you guys not been together? A few years. Okay. So it's been years. So... I mean, ultimately you did change. I know we, you know, we came on to really talk about open relationships, but really this didn't even turn out to be that way because you didn't really want to. And eventually he, he didn't really want to. He did not. He does not want that at all anymore. But you do have other friends who are in successful mm-hmm. polyamorous relationships. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? How do they how do they do this and not feel jealousy or do you think there is jealousy and there's this concept that goes around in like polyamory and open relationship circles that jealousy isn't healthy. Mm-hmm. So this is an ideology that is constantly played on I think as a manner of working towards quieting what I think is a very natural instinct. Mm-hmm. There are some people who are perfectly happy to be like, yeah, I sleep with these five people and we're all happy. And I'm like, that's great for you. And you don't feel anything at all. That's a big question mark because I'm never really met with an answer of, no, I don't feel jealous. I'm met with, well, jealousy isn't healthy. So do you think that there are people who are truly happy in, I'm asking you, Mark, like based on what she's saying, do you think that it's possible for two people to be in a relationship where they might even live together, like they're, they appear monogamous, but they both have their own other things on the side? Do you think it's possible for that couple to be happy and there actually be zero jealousy? I think if you have relationships, it's different than if you have sexual physical encounters. I think it's a whole other fucking ball game. I think if there's two people that have decided, you know what? Sex with somebody else, sexual encounters with somebody else is meaningless. It doesn't mean a fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And they both agree upon that. They're like, okay, well, that's cool. But having, this is a, what was the term? Play, play, pleasure. Play, par- play partner. There's, there's a play partner. This is someone I actually have a relationship right. with. You know, it's not just a physical relationship. This is someone that there's emotion there. There's physical. So in other words, I've got a primary girlfriend mm-hmm. and I've got a whole bunch of other girlfriends, which right. is a whole other story than I've got my girlfriend and she's okay that, you know what? I sleep with some people every once in a while. Right. And that's, that's that. That's, it's, it's just a sexual encounter and that's all there is to it. Right. And I think that's where it gets really fucking confusing when you have relationships yeah, that I, mirror I that. the primary relationship. And mm-hmm. that's where all the jealousy comes in because there's emotion that's attached to it. Okay. So look at it I from agree. another way. I, I agree with you. I think definitely um, having emotion attached to it makes it, make you feel as the if if I were the primary, let's say it would make me feel like less important, like mm-hmm. I'm you know the same as all of these other women. Mm-hmm. But then on the other side of it, if I am not the same as all the other women, if I'm up here mm-hmm. and the other women are all just random sexual encounters, I feel, and again, this is coming from somebody who's only been in monogamous relationships. Like I said, I've been with the same person for eleven years. Mm-hmm. I can't even fathom this idea, but. I feel like there would come to a point where I would feel like, well, what the fuck? Like, isn't it about time to get rid of the random sexual encounters? Like, I am so high on this totem pole now. Why am I not just the only one? Do you think that that thought crosses the mind of the primary people ever? That, like, why do you need to to do anything else? You know, just here, 
uh, off from your question, and sorry, I hope don't forget it. Just hearing this whole thing now, none of this shit works unless both people are completely doing their things. I agree. Yeah, you can't have someone, someone's so one of the two is okay to go play around, and the other one wants something monogamous, or the other one doesn't have an interest in playing around with other people. This whole thing can only work if these two people have some sort of emotional connection, love each other, or like each other, or whatever fucking term you want to put to it, Mm -hmm. but they're okay with the idea of like, you know what, sexually I understand you want to go have variety and go do things that we don't or I can't or whatever the case is, and me too. And at the end of all of this, we can still come together and be fine. That way there isn't this, I'm the primary, I might have feel like I'm top of the totem pole. There is no totem pole in that situation. There's just two people that just go do this thing. I I agree with you. I think it has to be both people. Otherwise, there's going to be somebody that kind of feels I don't know left out that's not the right word but yeah like they're not I've even heard of you know couples who they sort of share so like you know they are in their their relationship as each other's primary and then let's say it's let's say it's a male female okay and then let's say the male finds another woman that he's attracted to this other woman might become a playmate for both partners and so it's either both of them together with her um, or separately, but this other woman is sort of part of everything. Do you think that is better or worse? Like, do you think that that could make more jealousy because now you both have sort of an outside relationship with the same person or is it better because it's like, okay, you know, this is our person. I frequently more see the third person being the one who feels some type of way really situation okay tell me about that because i i've only heard of these people i don't actually know them personally (laughs) well if you think about it right if your partner brings in this person hey this is what i'm thinking this person and your partner have already established a relationship Mm -hmm. this person has an attachment to your partner whether they're playing with you or not right so then trickle down while somebody's still jealous or upset Mm-hmm. Either the third partner can feel taken advantage of or used, which is very frequently the case. Like they're being looked at like, well, now I'm just a sex doll for you guys. Right. Do right. my feelings not matter? I think it's so interesting because you hear people saying that monogamy isn't natural and like humans shouldn't be monogamous. But That's yet jealousy is such a fucking real thing. Like you said, like it's, you can go into something with this intent of like, I'm going to be okay with this and we're all going to do our things and nobody's feelings have to get hurt. But it sounds like a very large percentage of the time, somebody's feelings are getting hurt or somebody does, is feeling some negative ways about this. I would at some point really love to hear from somebody who's in like a 100% happy, open relationship. I haven't met one. Because I think most of the time people that get into open relationships, they like the idea of being in an open relationship because they think I can go sleep with a bunch of other people, but they're not emotionally prepared to, to, to be involved with it. No offense, but frequently it's the men who aren't emotionally prepared to carry the weight of multiple partners. I don't I don't doubt that at all. I don't yeah. doubt that one fucking bit. You said it's the men who aren't able to carry the weight of multiple, multiple partners for himself or Emotion- for his partner oh okay i mean like when you just look at developmentally 
cis women are a little bit, we're just wired to be a little bit more intuitive, a little bit more compassionate, a little more empathetic, but where we're trained from young ages to put other people before us. Mm-hmm. Cis men, on the other hand, exact opposite. Right. It's, it's a lot of it can play into conditioning and um, patriarchy and stereotyping. It is interesting that you mentioned that the like empathy we've talked about this on the podcast before how women just yeah somehow it's like I don't know if it is innate I don't know if it's well some of it's got to be innate because when we had um, Ross on and he talked about the fact that one of his his yeah his characteristics so he is um, my brain's going what what is Ross? Forty seven. Thank you. XX forty seven XXY. So he has both male and female characteristics. Mm. And he was saying that even as a child, he like could feel this. Like he could feel that um, he had these very uh, what are considered more feminine traits, and one of them being empathy. Mm-hmm. The literature says that. Yeah. So it's very yeah. It's interesting. Like I never really would have thought of it I, when you said that at first. I thought you were saying that you know a man couldn't handle like his partner having multiple partners. What you're saying is he can't handle emotionally carrying multiple partners. Right. Interesting. The whole thing is really kind of strange. I mean, even from an evolutionary standpoint, you can argue both sides of the fence about monogamy and whether that that is. Okay, if we're talking purely evolutionary, the whole point of um, copulation is to pass on your genes. Right. 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 So from an evolutionary standpoint, we have to argue what makes more sense for the survival of my male genes. Right. My genes multiple. Right. But we can argue for both sides. Is it to have multiple partners and spread my seed as many places as possible or is it better to spread my seed with one person and be involved in the rearing of my seed to ensure its survival, right? Mm -hmm. So even from an evolutionary standpoint, things start to change with higher up primates. So for example, you start to see couple pairing with higher up primates because of things like frontal copulation, Mm -hmm. right? Because now emotional connections can be made, things like that. Hidden ovulation. As an animal, and I don't know when you are able to conceive and everything else, I, from an evolutionary standpoint, makes more sense to stick around and be in something monogamous, right? right. right? So when you start to see things like frontal copulation, when you start to see hidden ovulation that happen with higher primates, then it's a whole other story. That's when you start to see couple pairing. Maybe I made that all up. Do lobsters really attach their claws like Phoebe says on Friends? That's so cute. <laughs> are, are there lobsters like? Because right? I wouldn't consider them higher up primates. But, but but I mean, you can you can see that. So for example, in certain primates, you know when females are fertile, their genitalia is puffy red, different color, pheromones in the air. Like you know, so I know I can get in on that. Probably get my gene spread, right. and then I don't have to stick around. Mm-hmm. It's it's a really fucked up thing. It's not fucked up. I don't know. I don't even know how this really same thing we were talking about. <laughs> no, it does exactly mm-hmm. because that's what I'm trying to figure out. And the whole purpose again for having Kitten come on here and talk about this is, as I said, as therapists, I feel like you know one understanding every type of population of person, but I also wanted to understand the psychology in this because. 
I cannot, I cannot see how it can work. Right. But is that my closed-mindedness? Can I ask I you a know. question about him? Mm-hmm. Does he have a history of any kind of sexual trauma, mental trauma, just out of curiosity? No sexual trauma. Pretty decent family, like like biological parents not together, but that's not uncommon. Right. Mm-hmm. He's, he's more of a... Um, an egomaniac uh, with failed monogamous relationships, which led him to polyamory, which failed polyamory led him back to, he doesn't know what the hell he's doing. And you have since moved on. My understanding through our mutual friend is you are in a long-term monogamous relationship, even married. Yes. Somewhat sort of. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So you did you go straight back to monogamy or have you dabbled in any other open relationships since this person? Oh no. no. So you Oh no. As open as I am and understanding as I am and as much as I'm like for my friends like hey you do you like I've got your back when you're crying you can call me I'm all good. I learned a lot about myself and what I'm emotionally capable of Mm -hmm. and how much I never want to be in a situation where I am convincing myself to deal with something because of someone else's either choices or lack of communication or honesty. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's more of a, a boundary setting for myself. So... Because you were never no. into the, you. You're monogamous. Yeah. Right. You you just were trying to get into a monogamous relationship with a dude who just didn't want monogamy uh, at uh, first. N- uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I I uh, have a an un, an undiagnosed, self diagnosed, self understood case of hypersexuality. That what is, I. What does think, that mean? What does that mean to you? Whoa, that's a heavy one. <laughs> cool. Let's get heavy. What does that mean to you? Uh it can really display itself in like um unhealthy sexual urges like most people everybody can look at someone and be like wow you're really attractive Mm -hmm. and move on with their life Mm -hmm. but at times for someone like me and again this is just me like this is very widespread that urge sometimes is like wow i really would just want to go do that really quickly and then move on i get it so that's how you kind of like got into this thing to begin with it was kind, just and i didn't know at the time really does that become obsessive like when you see that thing and you're like mm, I, want, I want i want that i want that is it an obsessive thing and then it's almost like you gotta go for it or if you don't you keep thinking about it and then when you do it and you get there I'm good. I'm just curious. It can be like that. I'm also a personality type where like, if I decide I want something, Mm -hmm. you're going to have to set me on fire to stop me from trying. Okay. Okay. So the person that you are with now, Mm -hmm. how long have you guys been together? Three years. Okay. And a half years. I don't know. Something. Okay. It feels like an eternity. It's been some time. Yeah. And... Was there, did there have to be a discussion? Was it like immediately, like you knew that you were going to be monogamous with this person? Did you feel the need to like set boundaries right away? Like, I guess after coming out of something like that, being in with somebody who was polyamorous, did you feel the need to like have this like serious discussion? It was funny because one of the things we kind of bonded over and like, some people would say it's like a trauma bond, but really it was more of like a this is what I've been through kind of thing, a way of testing the waters. We both went through something very similar. So you and him were like, okay, this, this is not what I'm trying to do. This is not what I'm trying to do. And we were both like, great, me neither. <laughs> awesome. 
Okay. You have any other questions about open relationships or anything else for a kitten? I feel like we just like tore apart your entire personal life, but it's all good. I almost feel bad. <laughs> oh, no. Thank you for being so open. No, you know what? Our, like I said, when I had this idea that I thought this would be sort of an interesting, t- well, actually it was Mark who had the idea initially and I just happened to mention it to our friend. Um, I, I didn't know where it was going to go, but it, she said to me, kitten will talk about anything. You can ask her anything. She will tell you everything and nothing, exactly as you said, nothing is off the table. And I'm like, okay, let's let's do this. Anything That's else true. you got? Was the dude you were ever with, was he ever into the idea of swinging? No. Would you have been okay with that if he was... If he suggested it? That's a really interesting question. And I'm, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I find, in my experience with uh, communities in Toronto specifically, a lot of these people who engage in polyamory or open relationships are actually part of the kink and BDSM community, which is how we kind of all come to know each other. Yes, I am including myself. So later in these years and getting to know myself, if I knew myself now, like this, back then, yes. At the time, no. Mm. Am I interested in that now in my current incarnation, even knowing what I know? Not in my current relationship. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, that makes sense. Okay. Um, Fun fact, we used to... (laughs) I shouldn't say we. You started it. But Mark used to have... (laughs) This, I didn't start this sort you did didn't wasn't it you I don't think so it was you I'm pretty sure anyway pretty sure it was you. there was a couple that we actually used to be really good friends they're no longer together but um, we used to do a lot of things with them you know we would go camping with them we went on trips with them they were anyway and we used to joke like totally joking that we were all swingers the four of us because we would go everywhere together there That's was cute. never a relationship between me and the other dude there was never a relationship with him and the other woman or like never but we would joke about it. Anyway, when the two of them decided to go their separate ways and she got into a new relationship, I guess she wanted us to like this new guy equally as much as we liked the other guy. But, you know, we had gotten really close with the other guy to the point where we would joke about swinging, right? (laughs) So um, she brings the new guy out and very, probably very first night we're all out together. Somehow the swinging conversation comes up. He didn't know it was a joke. Scared the (gasps) shit out of this guy. Like totally thought that... I was going to start hitting on him or that, yeah, or that like his girlfriend was going home with my husband. Like it was, yeah. And that just shows the common misconception about ethics and boundaries within these situations, actually. Yeah. Yeah, We're like, no, 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 totally kidding. Like she was just trying to like sort of initiate you and, you know, get you to be sort of in this group. And yeah, I don't think it went so well. (laughs) I will say I, I have a very close friend who, um, it's not that she engages in polyamory or open relationships, but she engages in play with multiple people. Mm-hmm. So again, in this in this community, in this scene, there are actually people who host parties for these things. Mm-hmm. And she was in a similar situation to me at the same time. So we'd constantly be back and forth trying to emotionally help each other through this thing with a totally different guy who was polyamorous and dealing with her and had this primary partner and this other thing and it was all traumatic and it was all bad. And since we've both come out of it, she's still open to engaging in those things, even though her trauma is still very much unhealed. Like she's still really 
working through it. Okay. Um, and I'm the opposite where I'm like, I feel like I've worked through it pretty well. And I am so far disengaged. Never, ever in my life do I want to think about yeah, that it does, ever It doesn't again. interest you at all anymore. No. <laughs> Why do you think she wants to continue if it was so hurtful at the time? I don't know. Hmm. Sometimes I wonder if it's about just being open to experience or if it's not wanting to label something as bad because somebody fucked it up for you. I, I could be anything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What do I know? I don't know. You seem to know a lot about primates and... <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, to be honest, I'm, I'm curious. I'm just curious of the psychology behind it. I'm curious how it works that a couple decides, what's that club in Mississauga, M, M something? Is there is there a swingers club in Mississauga and there's one in Toronto? And So the one in Toronto is Oasis. Oasis, Aqualange or something And then I believe you're like thinking of Club M. Yes, yes. Yeah, I... Right? Like these are swingers clubs in the greater Toronto area. But well, I mean, that's how they're advertised. Like that's how I know it because that's someone, someone would tell me this, right? Oasis is more of like um, a lot of our altern alternative communities go there to just kind of be comfortable. Okay. So a lot of your um, LGBTQIA will go to Oasis because yeah. they feel like it's a clothing optional facility. Right. So they can go and just be there and be non-judged for whatever their body parts, gender presentation, whatever. And they can use the pool and they can use the sauna and they can use the kink room with all of the things that you obviously don't have room for in your house. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have swings and shit in my house. Yeah. You know, and they actually have like events, like they have burlesque nights yeah. at Oasis and things like that, right? Like it's a bit broader than what the idea is. Club M, swingers club. Oasis, a little different. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, because I'm always interested in the psychology of what goes into that. Because mm -hmm. that just piques my interest. I don't think there's one or even a hundred, you know, ways of pinpointing the psychology. As yeah. diverse as people are is as diverse as the motivations or thought process towards it will be, in yeah. my opinion. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. This, po this podcast just is so interesting to me. Like the, I mean, our podcast in general has made me, so, sort of like forced me to sit down and talk with people about things that like, I wouldn't just say to you like, hey, you want to go to Tim's and like sit over a coffee and have this discussion? You know what I mean? Totally. Like this has been like super interesting for me to talk to like people with very different lifestyles, different philosophies, but it's all relevant to me because it's all relevant into like psychology and understanding people and understanding humans. And because I have this theme that, you know, somehow weaves itself into every show is for everybody to stop being so fucking judgmental. Like yeah. you don't under you, you might look at something and you're like, that's fucking weird, but you don't understand the people in it. And even your scenario of like, you're, you are a person in this thing with feelings and somebody might be able to say to you, well, yeah, you decided to put yourself there. It doesn't make your feelings not valid. People did say that to me and they'd be like, well, why don't you just break up with him? Or why don't you just do it? And I'm just mm -hmm. like, why don't you just break up with your abusive husband? Like, let's have that conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, it's no different. I know. It seems a lot of people have a lot of solutions for life's problems. But until you're actually a person in a scenario where you're literally fighting yourself, you have one voice saying, I want to be open to this. I'm not going to be judgmental of this. I think this is a good thing. And you have the other person saying, 
but I just want him and just him and not him and, you know, the four other women that he's sleeping with that I don't want to know their names, but I know they exist. Yeah. Yeah. Fighting with yourself is the hardest of all fights, I think. Yeah. Because you never win. It taught me a lot about my willpower. What did you learn about your willpower? That I can talk myself into anything. (laughs) (laughs) Is is that a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's a great thing. Uh, It speaks a lot to... it kind of put a light bulb above my head into like how I've survived. I have a very interesting past childhood youth and it's, it's pretty textbook. And a lot of those cases, they don't end very well. And everybody always asks me like, how, how did you end up like so okay? And how did you end up not doing this or not doing that? And I never had an answer. I just be like, I don't know. I just did. Well, I just talked myself into it. You can not answer this if you don't want to. If you can wave a magic wand to make your childhood something different, but then you were something different at this moment, would you? No, no. For everything that I suffered and had to go through, I don't think I could bring the the light that I bring to the world if I didn't go through it. I saw something very different, but I saw something on social media recently. An acquaintance of mine, I was actually very good friends with her boyfriend. Her boyfriend was in a tragic accident and died 10 years ago, um, just this month, 10 years ago. And she put this post up on the anniversary of his death 10 years later about how she doesn't wish her experience upon anyone, but how there's, how she's, I think she actually used the word grateful, almost grateful that she went through it because she said that it sort of shaped her and she like, doesn't think she would be the same person and she doesn't think all she didn't use the word light but it was a similar like you know I I think that um going through that made me the person I am and made me understand that like how strong love is she's like I'm still so connected to this person who I haven't physically been with in 10 years that's incredible and it was a it, at first I was looking at it thinking how many people are like come on you wish that like even me for a split second I was like what do you mean you're grateful like are you that's the weirdest way to phrase something so traumatic mm-hmm. but like I, I read it honestly like four or five different times and I was like okay I mean I guess every single thing you go through makes you who you are. So if you take any piece of it away, then you're taking you away. I mean, it was still, it's still, it still is a hard concept for me to wrap my head around, mm-hmm. especially being that he was actually my friend. I don't know her very well. I was mm-hmm. like, what are, you, what are you saying? Like there was almost even anger, I think when I was reading it, but I'm like, okay, I guess I understand her sentiment behind the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, and I've heard other people who have gone through trauma say the same thing, that it made me stronger, it made me better. I've heard relationships that have gone through trauma. The couple comes out on the other side saying, you know what, we have a better relationship now than we did before the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say like for me that these things made me a better person or anything like that. Rather, it made me more capable of understanding other people and being compassionate and having empathy towards other people and understanding things like uh, the loose concept of like generational curses or, or if you could really break that down more, the concept of like 
carrying your trauma through genetics, you know, and and when you experience things and you talk about breaking cycles, this is really where I'm at and this is really what I'm talking about when it comes to me. So you're breaking this cycle that exists in your genetics, your so many your cycles. history. Okay. <laughs> so many things. Because of your past, was drugs ever a thing? You 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 can ask me about like my history if that's where you want to go. If you're if you're open for I'm it. so open. It's totally fine. It's something I've talked about on multiple occasions actually. Cool. Yeah. It's here. So um in terms of like myself and drugs or in my family? Um whichever comes first. Okay. I'm a marijuana smoker because if I don't have that, I am unstable. Okay. That is not a drug, as far as I'm concerned. It's legalized, it's a plant. That's yeah. where I stand. I'm a nightly smoker. You oh, do, you don't have to convince us. Yeah. We're good no, with you that. know, but I'm like just <laughs> For anybody listening, like, it's legal in Canada. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There it is. Um, my mother was a cocaine user. Okay. Um, prior to that, I don't like, like know. Like, in and out of rehab, or? She should have been in rehab. But wasn't. Um, the only reason she stopped doing cocaine is because she had me. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And even then, I had to do some digging to find out there was some use during her pregnancy, which I'm very lucky that I came out pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm okay. You are okay. (laughs) So there was that, and that trickled down later into her life before her suicide, where she was abusing her prescriptions. How old were you? She's uh, been dead for a year and a half. So this is recent, recent. Yeah. Yeah. What was your relationship like? Really bad. (laughs) It was really bad. Okay. I have this traumatic childhood from living at home with her and then her putting me on the streets at 15. Like she kicked you out or yeah. she didn't have any? Okay. She no, no, no. She, she was like, peace out. At 15. Yeah. Where do you go, 15? I don't, I don't know anything about this world. I lived on the streets. I lived in shelters until mm. I was 19. I still live in the same apartment that I got off the streets into. Mm-hmm. How did you go from shelters to having an apartment? I was very, I don't want to say lucky because not everything is luck, mm-hmm. right? I, I quickly understood how to use my resources. I, I watched, oh man, like so much bad shit happened to the other youth around me. And as sad as it is to say, I took their examples and told myself, that's what you don't want to do. You know? So when you ask me about drugs, there are many reasons why I've never even thought about using a drug. Right. Ever. Even when people are smoking meth on the couch in front of me, mm-hmm. you know, like it's not a thing I want to do. So eventually I was, I was living in this different shelter in Scarborough, which to this day, I'm very sad that they've closed it down because they were the ones who really helped me out. In the end, a housing worker came through. There was a program that was being set up to help, you know, youth and, and adults get off the streets. I don't know. It was weird. It was a man. I am me. I tend to have these weird things happen to me. He took a liking to me. My paperwork got pushed through really quickly. And here we are. Mm, okay. Before this dude, what were your relationships like? You said they were abusive. Mm-hmm. Are we Mm -hmm. talking about like several abusive relationships one after the other? Back to back, yeah. I think a lot of it was due to being attracted to what I knew from home. What you're familiar with. Right. Was your mother, like you said she's cocaine, so she was physically abusive with you? Mm Mm-hmm. Like to the point where like, 
as an adult, I now know that these things were like almost torture, you know, like there were, there were instances of like, I mean, like if it's not too much trauma for you guys, I can be specific. Yeah. I mean, like one of her favorite things to do when I was like between the age of like four and seven was to put me on a timeout in the corner on my knees on linoleum on uncooked rice. Mm. Mm -hmm. What would, what kind of behavior from you at seven years old would warrant that kind of punishment talking back uh, i was gonna say i bet you it was nothing pretty much she was not that's, that's well that's not something you do in ever. terms of punishing bad behavior no of course that's something you do because you're, you're not all up. right yeah are you mad at this are you fucking filled with anger no how do you do it tell me how you do it i want to know <laughs> i really want to know because if i if if i had that i would be so fucking angry i would hate everybody i would hate the world and i would probably be very self-destructive and if i wasn't self-destructive i would be lash out destructive for sure those are both really common reactions and yeah. i saw it a lot in the youth around me drug abuse perpetual homelessness um overdosing and dying i don't know, I can't tell you how many people i knew that are dead just mm -hmm. dead um some of them still struggle with drugs i can't go downtown because some of the street youth are still out there and i'm like I, I don't want you to recognize me yeah you know like there's there's a lot of that i internalized a lot of it um and this plays into a lot of my low self-worth and self-esteem and um bad body image for a long time like i have depression mm -hmm. i have anxiety um I'm very lucky that I don't seem to have a personality disorder. I'm like, I'm like so grateful that I don't have that because God knows I probably would have then engaged in that self-destructive behavior more just genetically or inclined to it. Mm -hmm. um, I view myself very poorly. That's how I get through it. I, I put it all on me. And now I can look at myself and be like, I'm a great person. I am nice and I am giving and I am supportive. But I look at myself in the mirror and I have things to say about other things. Or I look at where I am in my life and how I've managed to build myself up. And I'm like, wow, I haven't done shit with my life. You know, it's things like that. What was the last negative conversation you had yourself in the mirror? What, yesterday? What was it? Uh, I have a lot of like body image, body weight issues. Um, again, stemming from childhood, my mother would always make comments on my size. I'm mixed race, but I don't look it. And that always bothered her as well. What do you mix? I'm half Chinese. Hmm. So is he. And you both don't look it. <laughs> and that bothered her. Yeah. She she went on to have um, two more kids with another Chinese man. And they look mixed. And they were treated like they came out of a golden fucking goose. So wait, mm. your mother was not the Chinese person. No, I look identical to her. So there's also me so dealing with that. So she was, she was pissed that you look like her and not like your Chinese father. There was a lot of projection. Again, as an adult, I can recognize these things. Yeah. There's a lot of projection. There's a lot of internalized self-hate she had for herself that I then had to carry as a toddler, as a child, as a teenager. So what does is, what is elementary school look like for you in early high school? What high school? Elementary school. <laughs> what does elementary school look like for you? I'm antisocial. I have poor skills and I don't relate to other children. So you have like no friends all throughout no your friends. Catholic I elementary was, school? I was bullied. I was made fun of incessantly. 
I was then put into therapy in kindergarten. Does I'm curious now, does Catholic school and the talk of Jesus and God and everything else, when you're in your spot, is it like, this is this is stupid or is it helpful or is it just a non, is something you they don't even pay attention to? It was just a non. It was okay. my mother being very Eastern European, you know, we had... We always, you know, church on Sunday, yeah. Good Friday, no yeah. meat, Easter services. It was just the way it was. Right. But it's never like, I'm an elementary school kid at Catholic school and I'm hearing about Jesus and love and all this shit. And you're thinking to yourself, what the fuck? Why isn't this me? Like, why doesn't this shit happen with me? Like, why can't I have whatever I'm reading and hearing about? No, no, never really hit me like that. But yeah. again, I'm not really the status quo kind of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm kind of a weird one. <laughs> no, no, I don't think you're fucking weird at all. To be honest with you. It's everything you're saying. And I know it sounds like so fucking cliche and silly to say, but it's like, this is the point of like people trying to say like, you know, when it comes to something like bullying or being judgy or being an online bully or whatever it is, like whoever you're talking to, you have no fucking idea. You walking in here looking like Marilyn Monroe with this big fucking <laughs> smile on your face, telling us all the details of these interesting relationships you've been in. Yes, I know you alluded to the fact of like, oh, I've had some trauma and whatever. But, you know, I could very easily sit here and say, well, yeah, everybody has. But it's like this shit that you've been through that some people will never, ever have to like think about. Like it's, it, it's so far from their reality. And then to think there's people who can be so mean, like verbally abusive and be so fucking judgmental. Yeah. And as you said, you you took this as like a lesson in your own willpower. You can make yourself go into any situation. You're, you have fucking anxiety and you get on stage. Like just <laughs> these things that like if people took a second to think like I have no idea what this person is dealing with in their life and to maybe be like this much kinder and not immediately be an asshole. Yeah. That that's a big part of like my personal MO of like how to move through the world. Mm -hmm. Because it's like, how can you live a life being cruel to people and you don't know anything about them? Mm -hmm. Or it just who cares what you know about them? It's a person. That's it. That's all you need to know. Yeah, it's a person. You should write a book. I started. Really? Just a little bit. I kind of wanted to start breaking down my history and maybe use it to help other yeah. young people who might have gone through similar. I don't know. It's not going very well, but I'm trying. <laughs> you should. I mean, you're, you, you're very self-aware. You know very where you're at. You seem like you, you're, in a, you're in a good spot for yourself. And you've come out on the other side of some fucking horrible shit. Well, you don't even know half of it. <laughs> you know, I can't imagine. And that's how horrible I can not imagine it to be. You should yeah, it's there's a lot of people who go through a lot of shit, like you said, and you saw it in the youth shelters and whatever. And you can be in the group of people that decides I'm not letting my childhood trauma be the rest of my life. I'm not like carrying this with me. And as you said, continuing this cycle. Yeah. Or you can figure out a way to move past it. And I, I don't know what that quality is in somebody that makes them go one way or the other. I couldn't tell you. Like I have, I still call him like my best friend because like, there's a place in my heart that will always be, that's my best friend. And we met 
when we were both on the streets. And he just kind of saw me and clued into the fact that he was like, this kid is fucking innocent. Like, I don't know how she got here, but it's not like the rest of us. And he went out of his way to take care of me, wouldn't let people offer me drugs, always made sure I had somewhere to sleep, always made sure I had something to eat. Even if he was going on a bender, because he was a very, very heavy drug user, like I'm talking methamphetamines, crack cocaine, ecstasy, MDMA, all of it, it was fun for him. Everything that wasn't an injectable, he was like, let's try it. Mm -hmm. Like, found a bag of God knows what during Pride and stuffed his face in it kind of thing. But actually, never let you do any of it. Nope, never offered it to me. Like, there was one time I, I had, again, another abusive relationship, and I called him and I was like I need to get out of my place right now he was like I'm on my way to a party you're gonna meet me here in half an hour and I'm gonna stick you in a room by yourself and you're going to sleep and that's what he did and um to this day he's gone off the streets a mutual friend of ours him and her had kids he moved back home to Alberta to be near his family but he still secretly does drugs every so often you know, like there's no it's a soul sickness. I had a dude on here. Yeah. His name is Steven. He, he's a, he's he's been clean and sober from crack and booze. I think for about twelve years, and he says it every day is a struggle, and it's it's a soul sickness. Yeah, he's like people just don't get it, and they yeah. don't get it. They do not get it, and he's got one of those. You know, if it wasn't for this guy kind of thing, very similar scenario. He found himself in a, in a psych ward after a suicide attempt. And there was a dude there that, that pretty much said, Hey man, you fucking need somebody wherever you are and you need somebody, you fucking call me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care if you're in a crack house, you call me, I will pick you up. I will take you to church. And, <laughs> but that's, but he actually ended up having a whole connection with a bunch of church people. He would say it like, when I'm fucking, when, when, when I'm fucking in, uh, in, in rehab and they call my name over the speaker, you got a visitor coming. He's like, wasn't my parents, wasn't the girl I was dating. It was this guy that he met in the psych ward and 20 people from the fucking church that's coming so nice. to see him. That's so nice. Yeah. He's like, but I, I, get it a little bit better these things are real and people don't understand no people don't like that's why i people just don't get it and like you said if you just took a fucking moment to just stop and think about shit for one second get Mm. out of your own fucking headspace yeah and you know i don't know man there's just just more fucking compassion just don't be a dick <laughs> you know, if we went back and listened to all of our recordings and counted the number of times that one of us said just don't be a dick <laughs> that i mean that's like i think that's becoming the theme of the entire show is just don't be a dick yeah. like we love that the show has become about people and talking to people and hearing people's stories because it makes you understand like oh okay all these things that i poke fun at or you know when it comes to something like drug use it's very easy. I see people posting on Facebook all the time. If it's between your kids and drugs and you pick drugs, you're a terrible parent. I'm like, well, that is like horrible fucking messaging. But have you ever come down from drugs? Do you know what it feels like to feel like you'd rather rip your skin off? Because that's what happens. And I'm not saying that, you know, when I see something like that, you know, if if it's between kids and drugs and you choose drugs, you're a horrible person. I'm not saying that like, oh, no, we should be, you know, very understanding and accepting of the person who's, you know, doing drugs and abusing their children. No, not saying that at all. But it's like this person 
got that's, here fucking somehow. That still is still a fucking person. Yeah. Right. And the mentality needs to be like, we need to help this person, not we need to rip your kids away and throw you into a cell somewhere. Like right. that's not the solution. It's the concept of not giving change to homeless people because they're going to buy drugs. That's what yeah. my mother when right. she was taking me down to therapy as a small child, like age five, six, seven, eight, and we're walking downtown and I'd see a homeless youth, like we remember the 90s squeegee kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And I'd look at her because my initial reaction is to be like, oh, this poor person. I'm a kid. I'm like, that's sad. No, don't look at them. You don't give them anything because they're just going to spend it on drugs. Well, now as an adult, I'm like, it's so hard to have an addiction and function. So if you are homeless and you are poor and you need $5 because you need a tall can because your temperature is out of control, you have the shakes, you can't think straight, you can't see, what are you going to do? Are are you familiar with... uh Jason Mewes and Kevin Smith. The, the, what's that? Jay and Silent Bob. Jay and Silent Bob. Movie. Of course. Cool. I love them. Jay and Silent Bob. <laughs> I heard I heard Kevin Smith, I think it was on Joe Rogan's podcast, talking about Jason Mewes' heroin addiction. Mm. He had a heroin addiction. Jason Mewes' doctor was talking to Kevin Smith, trying to describe to him what it's like coming down off a of heroin. And he said that, um, you know the times when you fall asleep, like your arm falls asleep? Or your leg falls asleep because you're sitting funny. Mm-hmm. He's like, multiply that by a million and it feels like it's all coming from the inside. Yeah. Like she said, you want to rip your fucking skin off. Yeah. Like, obviously, I could never imagine that. I've never been a drug user. But I can, as Mark said, I can take a second and have compassion for a person. There's never been a time in my life where I've given money to a homeless person and thought like, well, you're just going to go buy drugs. It doesn't matter. It's right. none of my fucking business what yeah. you do with the money. Right. If I'm going to help you, I'm going to help and you. And it's right. not even sometimes that someone doesn't want to stop. Like that dude that I had in here, Stephen, he's like, he I know my life's a fucking mess. Like I went to rehab. willingly like over and over and over and over again he just struggled with the like he's like once i'm once i start start i just can't stop Mm -hmm. and then it's really easy to find a trigger to make me start you know he's like you know i'm i i want to be a good dad but i just i'm not the greatest father because i'm not there i'm not a bad worker i just can't keep a fucking job because some days i just don't show up one of my exes who was very very probably my most abusive ex was a drug addict not a user yeah an addict Mm -hmm. specifically crack and methamphetamine and the experience on my side of those come downs it's something undescribable. The The way it projects, mm-hmm. it can project, because again, not everyone's the same. The The emotional roller coasters, one minute they're crying, the next minute they're beating the shit out of you, the next minute they're apologizing, the next minute, mm-hmm. like you can't even predict it. You know, I've had my head smashed off a wall and then had dinner made for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is what it is. And it's and it's so fucked up because if you if you really care for that person, you almost don't know what to do. Yeah. You have no idea what to do. At least I wouldn't. Really well, yeah, know what I to mean, do. and as a child when it's your fucking parent, like it's I can just imagine like the emotional ter- like again, fighting with yourself, like, well, this is my mother, I love her and I want to protect her, but also like she's beating the shit out of me. Right. Like I couldn't tell you if my mother was using when she was abusing me. I don't, I wasn't 
you know, in tune enough to know, Mm -hmm. but I know that she abused me. I know that as a six-year-old, I knew what was happening to me was abuse, which tells you so much about how far my brain was ahead of my body and development Mm -hmm. because of those situations, you know? The, the, the outwards effects of these things are just m- many and almost indescribable. And you turned out fucking fantastic. I'm all right. All right. <laughs> <laughs> this, this episode took so many turns, but I'm so glad you came in to talk. And it's, again, I love this concept. And some people are not going to like this, and that's okay. This is going to make people uncomfortable. Some of some, just some of the subject matter, it might make people uncomfortable. Oh, it's all uncomfortable. But I love, but I love this because, like I said, I love this idea of actually getting so many different aspects of human experience that everybody is, as Mark said, so in their fucking headspace. Everybody is so like tunnel vision on their own life. I think the entire world has a serious lack of empathy, compassion, and any kind of understanding of psychology that doesn't match your own belief system. Like, Mm -hmm. you can't possibly understand, well, how can you continue to do something like that? How can you repeat this pattern of behavior when you've seen the negative consequences? Well, sometimes it's not just so fucking easy. And just because you don't react a certain way in a situation... It's really naive of you to think that every other one of the people on the planet are going to react the same way that you do. And like I said, I'm guilty of it myself. When I see somebody who's acting like a fucking crazy person for what I think is no reason, I'm like, yeah, I don't understand. Seems pretty simple. But I can usually then say to myself, okay, simple for you. I don't know this person. I don't know what's going on in there. <laughs> there could be some screws loose. I don't know. That's great though. Do you know how many people aren't capable of doing that? I'm usually the person to make people uncomfortable because people will say judgmental things and I'll call them out. I'll be like, what do you know? What about you? And people mm-hmm. will be like, well, it doesn't, it's not about me. Like, like people frequently will be like, well, you got off the streets and you didn't do drugs. So what's wrong with these people? I'm like, these people and me aren't the same people. Mm-hmm. You p- probably wouldn't have been able to do it either. Like you can't compare. Well, like Mark said, he'd be crying in a corner somewhere. Or <laughs> Do you have first world problems? Can you be more such specific? a good question. Sorry. Can I have an example? That's such a good question. I'm almost mad that I didn't think of it. Do you experience first world problems? shit that doesn't really mean much in any shape or form maybe i'm describing this wrong does it does do things get to you easily do you get bothered by something that isn't really a big deal in the grand scheme of things but it's an inconvenience to you at this moment so an easy example is you're at home and they made that drink wrong does that bother you? Are no. You pissed? Did it wreck hey, your day? Hey, nice barista. Can you fix this for me? I know you're having a hard day. That's about it for me. You are in line at the grocery store. You're exhausted. It's the end of the day. You just need to pick up a few things and go home. You get to the front of the line only for the person to tell you after you've waited through six other people, our debit machine isn't working and all you have is debit. Are you fucking mad? Do you have an ATM? You're in a rush. <laughs> to get to a show you're pumping gas you go inside to pay and the dude in front of you is fucking playing every lottery game imaginable i have been in this situation <laughs> do i feel annoyed yes do i let it bother me beyond the t- initial reaction of being a human and fuck that's annoying no my problems are bigger my problems are poverty can i pay my rent tomorrow i don't fucking know <laughs> i don't know 
my problems are I can't move out of this shitty one bedroom apartment that I got because I was homeless and I've outgrown like beyond like I don't fit here anymore but I can't move because the climate of my city has gone to shit politically my most at-risk peoples which hilariously include myself are being slowly systematically murdered these are my problems so the answer is no you don't have first world problems you have real fucking world (laughs) problems what do you think about people that have first world problems i think that they unfortunately for them don't have the life experience to understand that there are way bigger things i have one more question yeah because i feel like we're nearing the end but it kind of goes with your first world problems do you know who the kardashians are (laughs) all right i don't have to go to my part two which was (laughs) what are your thoughts have they done really well with the opportunities that they've been afforded slash sought out oh yeah like go get it make your money make your legacy i'm like all the power to you. Can you be doing way better shit with it? Yeah. You literally like took the words out of my brain because I used to be somebody who defended the Kardashians, not their personalities, not anything, but I used to defend them in the way that I said, what are we all mad about? They had an opportunity in front of them to make fucking millions. And I bet you every single person who hates them would have grabbed that opportunity and ran with it. Oh yeah. So that's not my issue with them ever. It's exactly that... They have all this money and fame and uh, power, I'm putting in quotes, because Mm -hmm. it's power that society is giving them for whatever fucking reason. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel they do anything with it. It's not exclusively them. I use them as an example because they're this like big fucking almost royal family. It's the issue with the one percenters. It's yes. It's that issue of there are so many people that only have first world problems. And I brought them up when, because Mark said that, because I actually watched an episode or a snippet of an episode of uh, their show. And Kim Kardashian was having a house built and she was fucking fuming almost to the point of tears because her furniture hadn't arrived yet. And when somebody said to her, take the furniture from your old house, her response actually made me turn off the TV. She said, but nothing's going to match. That like, made me there are people it. living in fucking mud, like literally yeah. in, in like a war zone and your furniture doesn't match. Jesus. Do you know how blessed I felt that somebody told me when I was getting off the streets, hey, Toronto has a furniture bank for people like you. I was like, holy shit, somebody's used shit. I don't have to sleep on the floor. This, well, this is what I mean. And I'm not saying that because I know there's going to be people whose argument here, you know, on the other side of it is like, just because somebody has it worse doesn't make my problems not valid. Not saying that at all. But it's to put perspective on when you have this, what you consider a big fucking problem, really look at it. Step outside of yourself and look at it. Is this a big problem or is this a problem right now? Is it inconveniencing my life right now? Am I going to remember this in seven years or seven minutes, really? Like, is this going to be a big deal? And if it's not, why are you wasting your energy? Why are you bringing negativity on yourself? Because you're doing it yourself for nothing, for something that doesn't fucking matter. My furniture doesn't match. Oh my God. I have never been more disgusted by something in my life. That's terrible. If you're listening, Kim Kardashian, shame on you. And you should be listening. (laughs) I have a lot more interesting things to say than you do. (laughs) 
this is relatable. I, I share a similar feeling, and it's sad to say, but it's towards I have a I have a, a little sister and a little brother. This is specifically about my little sister. She is ten years younger than me. Millennials. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Technically, I'm one too. I know it's I am too because you and I are similar in age. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing. Uh, she recently said to me, oh my gosh, I don't know if I can afford school next semester. I'm like, <laughs> time out. Let me, let, me, let me time you out for a second. Do you remember how you have a, the same place to live since you were born? Do you remember how you get money from the government because our mom killed herself and you're under a specific age? You get money every month because so sad for you. Do you remember how... Um, your dad pays for fucking everything and you don't have to pay rent or pay for the gas in the car or feed yourself and you get everything you want because you ask for it. You can't afford your next semester of school. Stop getting tattoos and buying makeup then. Mm. Priorities, babies, priorities. You know? And I'm like, yeah, that's sad. I know you want to go to school. You want to be a psychologist. This is really important to you. But what are you doing about it? Yeah, that's a question that people need to ask themselves all the time is what am I doing? Um, Rebecca Overson and I talked about that, not this deep, but about when you're in a scenario, she's a a massage therapy business coach. Mm -hmm. And when you're in a scenario where your life just fucking sucks and things are triggering you and you're getting upset by things, that's the moment where you need to think about like, okay, this is what's happening. What am I doing? Because you can't sit and let things happen to you. And you are walking, living, tattooed proof of that. (laughs) That You can't just sit and let things happen to you. If your circumstances are shitty, then what are you going to do with it? Are you going to sit in the shit or are you going to do something else? And again, I'm not at all saying it's easy. No, not everybody's going to succeed. Not everybody is going to be able to just stand up and walk away unscathed or whatever. I'm not saying you're unscathed, but I understand that there's going to be struggles. But again, it's being able to actually say like, what am I doing? What am I contributing to this? What, like, why am I reacting this way? What can I do? Whose lived experiences are you invalidating with your statements and behaviors? That's a big one for me. Makes our problem seem small, doesn't it? But I'm happy for that. I, I'm happy. I'm happy sometimes to have somebody put me in my place too. Like I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with somebody to say like, stop fucking whining. I'm okay with that. (laughs) Because sometimes you need to be reminded. It's easy to get wrapped up in your own shit, right? And just yeah. somebody to say, stop fucking whining. I mean, I say it to my kids all the time without the swear words. So, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. So if I expect a five and two-year-old to be emotionally mature enough to stop whining, then sorry, people in podcast land. If you are older than two and five, I expect you to stop Well, especially whining. when you're... <laughs> When you're whining and you and you've been dealt pretty good cards, that's the thing, right? Right. There. If you've been dealt shitty cards from a very young age, then I that's yeah, I get it definitely. But again, I think there's yeah, there's something to be said about people who can take their shitty cards and make the best of it for sure and then it, it's okay if you're not okay and it's okay if you're not making the best of it but if you really don't have much more than first world problems you need to really do some soul searching what's really bothering you right Ooh, that's a topic of another podcast dun 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 what are your unhealed parts we need to have you back I feel like you can teach us more things <laughs> yeah, for real. love to for real. Right on. Thanks for coming by. This has been, uh, this has been fucking fun. Sorry yeah. to traumatize you. you know. <laughs>
Maybe fun wasn't the right word, but it, you know. I had fun. <laughs> She's still smiling. Yeah. I'm good. No, this is good. We needed a little trauma. I like it. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. Peace.